ברוך השם, you're a bad Jew. שלום. Welcome back to another episode of Bad Jew, the place where there is no such thing as a bad Jew. We are just about a month into the conflict that is happening, the war that is happening in Israel uh, against Hamas. So the tone of the show has completely changed for those who have been sticking around and seeing the difference from pre-war to post-war. One day we'll come back to the typical cheery self that we begin the show in. Um, but, you know, the Jewish community right now is hurting and we are targeted all over the world. But speaking of being targeted, we had Izzy Saland on the podcast talking about how Jews are being targeted on social media. And now this week, we are talking with his dad, Jonathan Saland, who is a pretty famous uh, journalist across America, talking about how this is going to impact American politics next year. Jonathan, welcome to Bad Jew. How are you today? I'm fine. Glad to be here. Good, good. And you're holding, you're faring okay with everything happening? Yeah, it becomes a little personal because it's the country, frankly, where my grandparents emigrated from. So many Jews emigrated from Eastern Europe. My grandparents emigrated from what was then called Palestine. Yeah, insane. It's wild. Well, with that intro, that brief, brief intro, now we got to do the official intro. That is the four-minute Bad Jew Challenge, telling your life story in four minutes on a timer. Are you ready? I'm ready. Excellent. Hajj, time shalosh, yalla. The secret is, though, because I'm from New York, we speak really fast. So I can probably give you eight minutes worth of materials in those four minutes. Uh, I'm a native of New York. I grew up on Long Island. I wound up moving to uh, Washington, D.C. 36 years ago. The joke was at the time, Mario Cuomo, the governor of New York, who I was covering in Albany, was running for president, and I was going to beat him down to Washington. He never ran, but I st- I've stayed ever since. As he is uh, the uh, the son of my uh, me and my first wife who passed away. She was the founding editor of the online news hour, the news the website for the PBS news hour, and she passed away. And I got married recently, so actually eleven years now, to uh, somebody who I first met playing softball in the Jewish community center bowling league. Uh, the Jewish community center softball league in nineteen eighty nine, and then we got reacquainted twenty years later. I mentioned the bowling league because I met my first wife because of the bowling league, where uh, a friend of mine's writing a piece for the Washington Post weekend section on the bowling league, and I'm quoted about the head of bowling league saying, he's made more marriages than Yenta. And her best friend from college reads the story, sees him quoted, and we work together, and goes to me and says, she has somebody for me to meet. And sure enough, that was the person. And uh, we got married. And at Izzy, and we're bo- we were both in our 40s, uh, there were six of us, of all from the JCC who all got married in our 40s and we were the only ones able to conceive uh, a child. And that's, that's Izzy, who's named for my late wife's uh, paternal grandfather and my, uh, my maternal grandfather and my grandmother, the one and I'm named for actually my grandmother's husband, my grandfather of that family, my mother's father. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in, you know, obviously I'm involved in the Jewish community. We do, my favorite holiday is Passover because I love getting together. I love telling the story. One of the reasons I've only dated women who are Jewish is because I want them to be part of their family too and have it part of their tradition. So we have the Seder every year when my mother, my father, my father passed away. I took over the family Passover Seder. And now we have three families. We all come down and get together. And we bring the Horowitz, Margaret, and Matzah from New York. It says the Matzah with the taste. 
which is if you don't like matzahs because you don't have Horowitz margaret in there, of course. In Los Angeles, where you are, you probably never heard of it. But when Izzy comes to the Seder, I usually give him a box to take back with him so he can share it with everybody. And it says on the box, the matzah with the taste. And the, the kosher supermarket here, he buys it because only a few of us really want to uh, viewers really want to get it. So they order it special for us. Uh, I'm, I'm active in my synagogue. I first got active because they needed somebody to do a series of political forums. And uh, so I got involved that way as the moderator. And then uh, I wound up getting more involved in the synagogue. I'm now co-president of the men's club. And I still do those programs. In fact, next week, I'm sitting down with David Becker, who was a member of the synagogue, my former right fielder, who's the head of the Center for Election Innovation, which is a group that talks about election integrity and tries to make sure that elections are run smoothly and pushes back against all the false claims of a false election. So the uh, I'm looking at the timer. I can't find the time. I don't know how much time I have. You have 40 seconds. Okay, so that's pretty good, huh? So yeah, yeah. they probably have six or seven minutes, right? I'm an avid softball player. I've been playing softball all my life. I've coached, a lot of people have coached. Uh, among the people I've called, coached is Obama's pollster. I've coached uh, the uh, a couple of bureau chiefs. I've coached, uh, as long as on my Facebook page, I have a list of everybody I've coached in, in softball. I'm still playing. I'm almost 70. I'm still playing. Well, now, like Mickey Mantle, I have to move from center field to first base. A big Mets fan. I was at game six of the 86 World Series. The ball went through Buckner legs. And uh, we have national season's tickets now because I'm in D.C. But I go to all the Mets games in my road jersey because it's a road game for my team. How am I doing now? Good, good. Uh, that was the four-minute mark. If there's any, any other last-minute notes you want to throw in there. No, it's like deadline. You have to write you know, 300 words. At 300 words, you press the button and say, here's my story. It's the same thing. Well, how appropriate for the subject of this episode. For those who want to follow Jonathan and learn more about his uh, work in journalism, be sure to follow Jonathan on X as well as threads at JD Salant. Jonathan, I am not a political expert by any stretch of the imagination. But it's still important to acknowledge the fact that right now what's happening in Israel in its war that it's waging against Hamas is going to impact the 2024 election. We've seen Joe Biden provide resounding support for for Israel, as well as America's closest allies who have followed suit. But how is this internally going to be impacting our elections as we get closer to this year that everyone is biting their nails over? Well, the, the easy answer is we don't know yet. It's still a year away. Uh, there was always the talk of the October surprise uh, with Jimmy Carter back in 1980 before you were born, where they thought maybe Carter would get the Iranians to release the hostages and therefore Carter could be Reagan. Or Vietnam, there was a bombing hole right before the 1972 election, uh, where which was thought that a 1968 election was thought could help Hubert Humphrey, the Democrat, over Richard Nixon. Nixon won in part because of the satisfaction with the war. You never know about the October surprise, something happening right at the last minute, right before an election, that upends everybody's calculation. That said, for years, the Republicans have tried to use Israel as a wedge issue. They got the help of Netanyahu, who aligned himself with the Republican Party. He all but endorsed Mitt Romney in 2012 and tried to blow up the bipartisan consensus on Israel in America. Uh, you see all these protests, you see people voting. Uh, there's the group of the squad, some far left members of the Democratic caucus, one of which is from Pittsburgh, so I deal with her regularly. But that's 
9% of the Democratic, or 8% of the Democratic caucus, which means 92% uh, support Israel and down the line on Israel. So it's a very small minority, though they have outsized attention, appeared to in part, because, and I have this institutional bias too, I love the, the, the contrary stories. Uh, you know, we, like we never did votes. I, I worked for New Jersey newspapers for nine years. We really never covered votes because there's not a lot of interest in it. You have a limited amount of space on the, you have a lot of space on the web. We have a limited number of articles you want to put out. You don't want to flood the reader. And you also can track, like the good news is we know who's reading our stories. The bad news is we know who's reading our stories and find out that a lot of in the regular newspaper was like, you know, oatmeal, you need, it's good for you. Eat it. Here's a story. You should, we're telling you what you should read on the web. You get to pick all the stories you want and nobody's picking vote stories. Right. But when it was, when there are five Republicans that vote no, and one is from Jersey, I wrote that story. When there are, you know, those when three Democrats vote yes, and everybody else votes no, and one is from New Jersey, I wrote that story. So it's the same type of, of thing. You get attention if you disagree with the issue of the day. It's a good, it's a good claim to fame. I think it's, it's great that you're, that you're choosing the stories of the outliers and those who stand out like a sore thumb amongst the sea of, as opposed to preaching to the choir. And right now, what is the value for these, these individuals, these politicians who are, you know, making stances away and unique to their political party? Well, the thing is, is that with Palestinians, the mainstream American position still is a two-state solution in the Middle East, a Jewish state of Israel and a non-Jewish state, a Palestinian state. Remember that in 1948, when the state of Israel was created, the United Nations split Palestine between a Jewish state and a Arab state. And it was far less than the Jews would want. And David Ben-Gurion said, I'm taking it. I'll take anything. It's better than nothing. Um, I'll get, you know, Ronald Reagan once said, you know, 80% of what you want is still, still a victory. And Ben-Gurion declared fled victory. and. And we'll take whatever the UN gives us as an independent Jewish state, we'll take. The Arabs did not. They attacked Israel and they lost the first of several wars and lost territory. Palestinian state in 1947 would have been much bigger than what they're going to get now if there was a Palestinian state. But that's always been the U.S. policy. Uh, and the, even President Trump, who can be arguably said was really pro-Israel, I mean, one of the most pro-Israel presidents ever, they still claim that he is the most pro-Israel president ever because he moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. He recognized Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights. Uh, he did other stuff to support Israel or the government in power. And he even he refused to allow Israel to annex the West Bank as some people in the now in the government, some of the ministers want to annex the West Bank. Uh, and what happened is uh, Sharon, who withdrew from the Gaza Strip, he realized that Israel could not be a Jewish and democratic state and control the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. West Bank for some people that call Judea and Samaria, those are the biblical names for that area. The colloquial is the West Bank and that doesn't prejudge. Judea and Samaria is usually saying, yeah, Israel has a right to that territory. The West Bank says, and that's again, US policy. Well, Israel won it in the Six Day War, but they have to give it back. It's that you can't just expand territory by conquering it, that's the same rationale for the U.S. supporting uh, Ukraine over Russia. You just can't overrun another another people. So, uh, so talking about <clears throat> the uh, so the Palestinians have a cause in in the U.S. A lot of progressives support the Palestinian cause that Palestine has 
Palestinians have a uh, a right to a land at all. Two states for two peoples is the policy, and that's been, that's American policy still. And so, and as things go on, it's harder and harder to envision a two-state solution. There are many more. There are many more settlements. Uh, Gaza is is you know they call it an open air prison. It's run by the Palestinians themselves. It's run by Hamas. Israel was doing it in two thousand and five or something. Again, because they wanted to break away from the Palestinians because they they don't want to have a majority of Arabs in the you know from the Mediterranean to the Jordan River because then if they don't have any rights, you're not a democratic state. And if you have all the rights that the Jews have, you're not a Jewish state because they have a majority. So there's a and then you have the current Israeli government with some of the ministers who believe that it should all be Israeli, that, they, that they're supporting more settlements to break up the, any chance of a two-state solution. Remember, when Israel withdrew from Gaza, they took Jews out of the country. They took the settlements away. That was a very, I'm trying to think of the word now, but mm-hmm. certainly something Israel had never done before. It's a very traumatic experience in, for certain people in, in Israel. And you don't want to repeat that on the West Bank of all these settlements. And all they talk about a two-state solution is the Jews would be Israel would keep the areas around the big settlements now, and they give uh, the Palestinians some equivalent land elsewhere that's now under Israel control. But the, some of the, the ministers in the government want Israel control over everything else. They have new settlements, not in this current cluster group, but designed to prevent the two-state solution. So the Palestinian situation becomes dire and dire and dire anyway, and they get they have support from a lot of progressives who believe that they should have a state of their own. And it's, again, Israel is becomes having won the war in 67, the Six-Day War, because, they, because their whole survival was at stake. But in the aftermath, if Israel is the power. These are, the Palestinians are powerless. And if you're a minority in America, a lot of times you're powerless too. So they feel, make a common cause. The problem is, is you have Hamas, which is recognized by the U.S. as a terrorist organization, and you have Hezbollah, which is recognized by the U.S. as a terrorist organization. And when Hamas fights Israel, they're not attacking the military bases. They're overrunning kibbutzes. They're not killing soldiers. They're killing babies. So that gets lost in the thing. Now people say, yeah, look what Israel's doing. All these Palestinians are being are dying. All these, you know, we have this war. And it's and isn't it terrible? And Israel is the conquering power, and they're omitting. Well, the only reason they have a war is Hamas wants to slit the throats of babies and rape women, and capture civilian hostages. They're not capturing hundreds of soldiers. They're capturing families. Right. And that gets lost in the translation. And speaking of getting lost in the translation, I'm wondering. You know, we see the public, and I'm speaking about the everyday citizen, not politicians, not people in Congress right now. We see people um, kind of gaslighting the situation that's happening in Israel by debating the semantics in this really senseless and ruthless and insensitive way about whether or not the babies were beheaded or whether or not people were actually burned alive in their cars. And it's really ridiculous. We're not hearing that same kind of rhetoric being spewed inside the the halls of Congress. We're not hearing that. There's a small percentage of politicians out there that do not support Israel, that will not be supporting Israel. Is that kind of rhetoric ever spoken about? And are they ever the outlines? Or well, yeah. what kind of rhetoric does help them stand apart? Well, Ilhan Omar and uh, of and Rashida Tlaib, the two first two Muslim Americans in Congress, have been attacked on both sides. Uh, 
for claiming that the U.S. supports Israel because they were paid to do, or the question of dual loyalty of Jews. Jews had all throughout history, Jews have been accused of being citizens, being outsiders. I mean, American Jews are Americans. They're not Israeli Jews. In fact, even President Trump was, was attacked for going to talking to a group of Jews and say, we support, we support your prime minister. No, it's not my prime minister. Not your prime minister. Right. Uh, it's uh, Israeli Jews is prime minister. We're Americans. Our president at, is D- Donald Trump. Well, now it's Joe Biden. And we're not citizens of another country. We can support another country. Same reason uh, other Americans support the countries they came from. You know, but we don't, we're not part of that country. We are Americans. And that's part of, and the, the Democrats in 2019, it was, passed a resolution. 23 Republicans voted no including Liz Cheney, that condemned anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. And then there was a resolution this summer that condemned anti-Semitism and said Israel is not an apartheid state. And you had nine Democrats voting no, including Omar, including Tlaib. And then you have this last resolution, which condemned Hamas. They all stand for, uh, we support Israel all the time. But then none of them say, none of these recent ones talk about a two-state solution. And for the Conservative Jews in America and the conservative Jews and the conservative Jews in Israel, the Likud party, they're not on record as supporting a two-state solution. They, they would like to have the control of the whole thing. And one of the reasons some people voted against the resolutions here, they say, okay, I, I just know what they tell me, is because it didn't say there was a two-state solution, which is opposing U.S. foreign policy. And of course, it puts you into a bad position where you're going to have a resolution condemning anti-Semitism and standing with Israel, the right to defend itself. And you either vote and you say, I want to restate the two state solution because I don't like the fact that all this land is being annexed. But if that's not the resolution before you, your choices are you have to either vote no or you vote yes and you don't have the two state solution. And it's an old political and you have to say, well, I voted no because of this. And it's an old political saying, if you're explaining, you're losing. (laughs) I've never heard that before, but that makes a lot of sense. I think your point here really illustrates. I think it's a counter argument to a maybe a preconceived notion I've had for some time personally is the idea that Jews don't really have a perfect political party that aligns with it. Is that a statement that you would agree with or disagree with? No. no uh, yeah. Well, 70 percent of American Jews support the Democratic Party. It's always been 70 percent, maybe a little more than that, because American Jews, their number one issue is not Israel. It is a concern. If you're anti-Israel, you're not going to get a Jewish vote. But once you support Israel's right to exist, then all the other things that Jews care about, abortion, for the reform and the conservative movements, the rabbis say that a woman's life is paramount. And if you have a choice of the woman's life or the fetus's life, they say the fetus is not a person, you have a choice. The fetus has to be aborted. That's Jewish law. as interpreted by rabbis of the two, the two large denominations in America. There's a lawsuit in Florida Florida has a six-week abortion ban, and they've brought suit under the religious freedom law, saying they are violating the Jews, and I think Muslims also are, are part of that thing, debate, violating their religious freedom, the following edicts of their religion. Fascinating. So, uh, civil rights. So Rabbi Josh, uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel marched with Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, Schwerner, you know, Schwerner Goodman and Cheney Three people murdered in Mississippi trying to, reg- to register blacks to vote. 
Two of them were Jews. So when you have, so those are people fighting for voting rights. Those are people fighting for civil rights. The uh, it, just issues like social justice, helping the poor. That's fundamental. The kun olam. It's fundamental to Jewish, the Jewish religion, healing the world, and the uh, one party tried trying to cut food stamps. One part, and that's not the the party the Jews are voting for. In fact, one of the stories that I sent you, and story that we I was, I spent the weekend at the Republican Jewish Coalition, and they keep talking about how strong they are on Israel. And President Trump talks about how strong he is on Israel. Uh, he supports you know, supporting the, the government in power. And says, I don't know why the Jews aren't voting for me, because that's not the reason they vote. It's Seventy percent of Jews, and it's gone on for years and years and years. Republicans are hoping that Israel will woo Jews away. When you criticize Israel, they're not criticizing Israel. They're supporting Netanyahu down the line, and a lot of Jews don't like Netanyahu. A lot of American Jews don't like Netanyahu. I think, especially right now, that is so important to say. Um, in my comment section. Uh, I, I'm getting people all, all the time commenting about how uh, I should be telling Netanyahu to cut it out. And that's why all this is happening in Israel. And that's a funny concept to me because, yeah, it's, you know, these anti-Semitic comments about, well, you know, tell Netanyahu yourself to, to like, you know, they're obviously not telling me to take it down himself. But the way it's framed is as if I have him on speed dial ready to go to just tell him, hey, you know, you should cut it out like I'm his friend or something. And I think that that's a comment that is, is especially important right now to, to make that distinction that, you know, Jews might be supporters of Israel, but they are critical of the government. That doesn't make them an anti-Zionist. There are ways to be anti-Zionist and there are ways to be self-hating Jews, but that's not one of them. But Zionism is the, the, the desire to have a Jewish state, a Jewish democratic state in the ancestral homeland of the Jewish people, which is the, the area that used to be known as Palestine. And that's Zionism. That's all Zionism is. It's not expelling the Palestinians. It's not doing this, it's not doing that. It's the right of the Jews to settle and live in their ancestral homeland. That if you, depending on how religious you are, you believe God gave to the Jews. But it's the fact that Jews lived there. Jews lived there for thousands of years. All the, uh, all of the, uh, Archaeological digs have proven that. I mean, that you have the Western Wall of the Temple. That dates back thousands of years. Uh, so you have all this proof that, that the, Jews, the Jews were there. The question is, you know, it used to be in the old days, uh, it was a, a people without a land for a land without people, ignoring the, the inhabitants of that property, land, which a lot of Palestinians, but also Jews there. My family emigrated to Jerusalem in the 1840s. So, and they were Jews, and there was a Jewish community there from that time, and even before that. So there's always been Jews in the area. There's always been Jews in the land of Israel, even in the time when, like, as you acknowledged, when the region was called Palestine, like you said. And, you know, we've seen different shades of Zionism come out since the conceptualization of the modern state of Israel as we know it today. Um, and that's where people get critical. And that's also where we see American politicians becoming critical. In As we get closer to 2024, is there any specific subscription to any of those interpretations of Zionism that will impact the elections? Well, again, I argue that's anything other than Zionism, the right of the Jews to live in peace in their 
answer the homeland. That's Zionism. And you distort it. It's distorted by using another definition that Zionism is racism, that Zionism calls for the extermination of the Palestinian people. That's that's not true. And you just change it so you can justify your position elsewhere. And you say, oh, I'm opposed to Zionism because uh, you know that means the Jews are the, the dominant people and they have a right to eradicate the Arabs. No, that's not what Zionism is. And people willfully distort the meaning of it so they can justify other positions and justify their, their other views on that. The thing with 2024 is the Republican Party has stood right down the line for the most part with the state of Israel as the conservative people in the state of Israel, the Netanyahu's, the Likud party, no, unquestionably. And Thomas Friedman, the, the columnist for the uh, New York Times, taught when, he, when, when Netanyahu moved the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, said Netanyahu could have gotten something. I'm saying, I mean, Trump could have gotten something from Netanyahu, maybe a promise to hold to free settlements, maybe a promise to increase aid to the Palestinians, maybe this, maybe that. And he chose not to do that. So it just made Netanyahu a hero and the, the, the right wing of the American, the conservatives and the American Jews and the conservatives in Israel all cheered him. And isn't that great how pro-Israel is? Meanwhile, there's still war in the Middle East. Is that pro-Israel? Uh, the, the group J Street, there are two big Jewish groups. One is APAC, American Israel Public Affairs Committee. And they support the Israeli government. Whoever the Israeli government, they're down the line. I, re I remember being here after Arafat and Rabin shook hands and on at, at the White House. I saw that in person, one of the highlights of my life. And APAC, you couldn't have found a stronger group supporting Rabin and the right to uh, to have peace in the Middle East over the objection of Netanyahu and Likud. But when Netanyahu became took over, now they're supporting. APAC supporting Netanyahu because that group supports the government of Israel. J Street was formed, and they're much more progressive, to advocate for a two-state solution and say, you can criticize Netanyahu without being considered anti-Israel. As long as you support Israel's right to exist as a Jewish democratic state, you're pro-Israel. That's their definition. And you can criticize the Israeli government policies. And one thing I'm right, when I write, I'm very careful to say to the, the Somalis and the other folks, they're criticizing Israeli policies. They object to Israeli policies. They're not anti-Israel as Israel has no right to exist. They're anti the policies of Israel. And that's a big difference. That is a big difference. I'm curious, between J Street and APAC, which do you find being more influential? And how do you foresee that impact in the 2024 election? Well, yeah, I can't keep forgetting to answer 2024. APAC is much more influential. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the, the Jewish organizations, like J Street is not part of what's called the Conference of American Jewish Organizations, which are all the major Jew, Jewish organizations in the country who have a board and they meet regularly to debate the issues. Uh, and J Street has not been admitted to it. Some people consider them anti-Israel because they criticize the government. Uh, they have a lot of money. They're one of the biggest, biggest donor, group, donor groups. They raise a lot of money for candidates, but they are but they're not as influential as APAC. APAC has zillions of people and everybody knows, you're in a synagogue, everybody knows people active in APAC. But uh, you know, even like my rabbi, you could, I, could I covered APAC. So I get to see him and members of my synagogue at APAC conventions. I've covered J Street, I don't see them there. There's no delegation from the synagogues going to. 
The thing with 2024 is, again, there are a group of Jews, Republicans have, have, have supported it, who are not pro-Israel enough because they criticize the government, because the Jews have this group of, of, the, of the far left who oppose the state of Israel. And Republicans have had, for years have tried to win Jews on that basis alone. Joe Biden, who's a traditional pro-Israel Democrat, has stood up and gets praises from all parts of the, of the spectrum. There's a sign in Israel, you know, thank you, Joe Biden now. There used to be a sign in Israel, thank you, Donald Trump. Uh, Netanyahu has stood with, with Biden all the time. And that could, ch- you know, this, in fact, the story that I wrote over the weekend, that could change the equation in which people who might be skeptical of the Democrats who might be voting Republican because they think they're more pro-Israel, say, wait a second, at time of need, look at what Biden did. Like Richard Nixon during the Six-Day War, the airlift of, of stuff to, of weapons and and supplies to Israel, the middle of the Yom Kippur War, I'm sorry, the Yom Kippur War. Uh, Nixon, who we found out let, was an anti-Semite and he was anti-Semitic, but he, when Israel and Israel's biggest hour of need, he stood up for them. And hmm. Biden's doing the same thing now and winning a lot of support, including from Republicans. Say, wow, we really needed him and he came through for us. And independent, again, let's see what happens after that. The concern is, you know, if this war drags on for another year, and there's all these casualties, and, and as happens in war, some tragedies. We'll see. We see what happens. But right now, you know, Biden's running pretty high among Jewish Americans. I, one thing I'm really intrigued by is the fact that you know Jews across the world. I think we take up a total of 0.2 percent of the population, if I'm using that number correctly. But we're still quite influential. We're in, you see us in every single you know class of in, from, from economic class in America. And that and that proves to be the same uh, across the world, but you know we're still influential enough across the world to have some kind of an influence there, and you know that in, in some ways that feeds into the anti-Semitic trope of us controlling the world. And at the same time, we obviously have don't have the same amount of power in that case, but we still have the impact. We still have the influence to be able to impact an election. What do you attribute to that? Well, we're located. There's not a lot of Jews in North Dakota or Wyoming, but there are 400,000 Jews in Pennsylvania, who's 20 elect, who's the most populous swing state in the country, whose 20 electoral votes could decide who wins the 2024 election. There are huge Jewish community in Florida, huge Jewish community in Michigan. In fact, I want to mention that in a second. Uh, huge Jewish community in California, in New York, in New Jersey, in all the big big cities, sta- big states, and the Jews vote on and Jews vote. I remember going. To, I was in college and I took a class of like black politics in America and uh, and the teacher and we, we have a book on, on blacks and black voting power. And the teacher says, you know, you know, blacks are going to be really out there and they're really going to work hard and they're going to have all the power. And I and everybody in the class saying, yeah, yeah. And I raise my hand. I say, it's not happening. They don't vote. Look at the voting turnout and blacks are now voting more and more. Latinos are voting more and more. When they you show up and vote, you have the power. They have to pay attention. Jews vote. Jews give money. And that's that's what Jews are disproportionately have disproportionate influence. I don't want to say power power. They're disproportionate influence given their numbers. Now the, now we have a lot of Muslims too now in the country. I want to mention that. If they organize them, they've elected two of their own to the to Congress now. And if they show up and vote, they can have a big influence. On, and 
course, as you're going to have voter, voting rights and voting and registration and getting them out. That's one of the things that Biden is running into some trouble is a lot of the Arabs don't like how much he stood with Israel. Uh, there's a, you know, you read some of the accounts, and I'm not covering this day to day, so I all know what I read, but one of the reasons Biden, you know, Biden is calling for restraint. He's calling, you've got to protect civilians. And that's a, a reach, an outreach to the, Mus- the Muslims who are a big part of voting bloc too, certainly in key states like Michigan, uh, which is a swing state. And you say, okay, look, we understand. But again, the, the, the issue that keeps getting lost is the only reason we have a war is because Hamas decided they wanted to, you know, murder civilians and kidnap little babies and burn them in ovens and rape women. And if they don't, they don't over the border. We don't. We're not in the position we are. Yeah, yeah. Well said. So I think if there is any moral of the story to take going into twenty twenty four, we're now entering into November. You know, we're very much around the corner from the election season, the federal election season. That is, go vote. It's, it's that simple. I think that's that's the only prediction that we can make is that Jews are going to be involved in the vote for the 2024 election. Uh, and that's it's going to be imperative because we make the donations. We take the time to really think critically about our decisions. And um, is there anything else you, you want to add to that thought, Jonathan? Well, you said we're getting to that. We're in the middle of the 2024 election season. It starts earlier and earlier and earlier. We've already had a couple of candidates drop out. Uh, Vice, former Vice President Mike Pence just dropped out. He was right. Dean Phillips, a congressman from Minnesota, just entering the race against Joe Biden. So, again, we, you never know what happens. You look at look through a post of the front runners in, you know, the the year before, you know, wind up losing all these surprises. You never know what's going to happen with that. Uh, but again, you're right. You talk about the voting. The reason Jews are having this Washington they are concentrated in the big states. And they show up at the polls and they give money and they go knock on doors and they endorse candidates and they run for office. And any group can do that. They can. The more the blacks vote, the more their concerns are going to be followed. Uh, the, 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 the group that is most the most Democratic group are black women. And they show up even more than Jews. They show up percentage wise. But then more people come out. Young people, young people vote Democratic, but they don't vote. If they came out when they came out in 2020, they came out in 2022, motivated by things like abortion, the Democrats did much better. Are they going to come out in 2024? That's one of the other issues that a lot more, more of the young people are much more, even young Jews are not as pro-Israel as their elders. I mean, I'm, the, I'm a kid when Israel, the Six-Day War, when Israel literally could have been destroyed. And... They overcame all the odds. My parents were there when Israel was formed. Uh, you know, the Passover Seder. This year we are free people, but next year this year we're servants, but next year we have to be free people in the land of Israel. That's part of the Passover Seder for generations. And now they're in Israel. So that's so uh so what I'm saying is that young people are not as pro-Israel anymore. If they're reading and seeing accounts of Hospitals being bombed, even though it turned out it was Islamic Jihad that bombed the hospital, and actually was just the parking lot next door. Uh, maybe there are other atrocities. In war, it, war is hell. That's one of the reasons you don't want to have war. Yeah. But there are other atrocities. If, we keep, if six months from now, we're reading again about another zillion of civilians being killed and more cities being leveled and 
more refugees. Maybe some of the, the, the young people who, if they show up, will vote Democratic, will decide to stay home. And that's going to hurt the Democratic Party. So, you know, maybe the sentiment is such that more people in Congress, Democrats or Republicans, say no, uh, this, enough is enough. This, the call for a ceasefire. Uh, the reason that Israel rejected and the U.S. rejected is, you, wait a second, they just got attacked. You don't say, okay, you got attacked, you don't, you don't get to retaliate. It's like baseball where you hit, you hit the batter and it's before the, the other pitcher can hit your guy, uh, they, they, they give a warning. Yeah. You're allowed to retaliate. The question is, what's the degree of retaliation? And that, that remains to see. And another, you know, a year from this time, we'll have a much better handle. I'd like to say six months from this time, we'll have a much better handle on what's going on. Absolutely. Jonathan, I want to thank you again for bringing nuance to the conversation, for letting us, you know, planting some seeds and our prediction mindset to be able to see if we can figure out what's going to happen in 2024. Again, the biggest thing is go vote, go donate to the causes that you believe in. And Jonathan, again, I want to thank you for being so sincere. If you want to connect with Jonathan, ask him questions, engage with him on social media, follow Jonathan on X and threads at JD Salant. Is there anything else, Jonathan? No, he's glad to be here. Uh, you know, I could put in a plug for your last guest, how wonderful he is. Uh, is he? And yeah, how do you know that guy? <laughs> you know, talk about how great he is in, in the remaining time. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually I'm very proud of the way he turned out, and I'm you know I, I was a single father for part of that, and I didn't think I had instincts, frankly. Uh, you know, I'm seeing my my wife who has natural instincts with baby and going up, and then I'm left alone taking care of him, and it, it turned out okay. So. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad that happened. He did turn out okay. Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You raised a good one, Jonathan. Well done. The only the only problem is he's right-handed, and I'm left-handed. That is a sincere problem. Yeah, that that's really difficult. I, if I guess I guess if you could redo his childhood, it would be to start there. Jonathan, <laughs> thanks so much for being on Bad Jew. We'll see you all next week. Shalom. Sure.